Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Up Podcast, episode 101. Yes, we've now hit the triple digits for sure. We had a great episode 100. We got a great episode 101 for you guys. We have so much to talk about. The Brewer series just ended. We got a series win. Me and James are back in the studio in the office together, so you know it's going to be an absolutely fire episode. And the big news. We have the date. It is Monday. You guys will find out Monday technically. No, you guys will find out Friday. You guys will technically find out on Friday. So you're going to listen to this episode and there's going to be a way for you to basically find out exactly what's happening. We can't say it in this. So again, sorry to be a real tease here, but the news will be official tomorrow as to what is going on. Oh oh yeah, today. Whenever you guys are done listening to this episode, because there's going to be two podcasts technically to come out on our feed over the next 12 hours. This episode's going to drop after I edit. It'll probably be late night like it usually is. And there's going to be like a one-minute thing on there. So try to contain your excitement, listen to the episode, and then listen to what happens next. Because I promise you, we're incredibly excited. We cannot wait for you guys to find out. We've been teasing it forever. It will be officially known when you're listening to this at the time. So just just be ready. It's going to be crazy. I don't I don't even know if it's on your guys' radar. It's going to blow your doors off. That's what I'll say. Along with James has some big news too that uh, he is no longer Jeter had no range on Twitter. No, James Shiano officially. I'm going legit, guys. Which could also be a hint into what is going on with us here. Trying to go legit. We're trying to be serious. And we have a lot to talk about here about this Milwaukee Brewer series. But of course, before and what has been our lengthiest intro yet, make sure you're following us on all our social media because the content's about to get crazy. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Metsed up. We are going to go nuts with content Nuclear. over the next, I don't know, few years or so. <laughs> um, you guys <laughs> will see. Two. At least two years. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, anything, whatever it is. Yeah. 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 Whatever it is. Odyssey. Follow us, download it, share it, rate us, review it. It really does help us grow. And without further ado, let's start talking about this Brewer series. We're going to try something new out. We heard mm. you guys want us to keep it chronological. So right now for the first few minutes, we're just going to talk about initial impressions about this series. And this was one that the Brewers were not playing particularly well coming into. The Mets have been basically playing 500 baseball. And because of now winning this series since the beginning of June, they're now eight and six on the season during the month of June. It was good. I was happy with how the series played out. This series was just like so many other of the series the Mets have played over this entire season, where there were moments where you felt like the team couldn't do anything. There was moments you felt like they could do everything. And it just winds up being that they took down another team and came out on top again. It was classic Mets win two games, have a poop fest sprinkled in there because God forbid this Mets team plays good for three games in a row. We might just be prophecies. We might. We might be. And I'm seeing that more and more people are using poop fest on Twitter, which is pretty funny because it's just an absolutely insane terminology that we're using. But let's tell the truth here. I mean, game one was good for the Mets. Game two was terrible. And game three was quite the battle, but it ended beautifully for us. And just that kind of battle that we've seen from the Mets so often this year. Like, I want to talk a little bit about game three before we really dive in. But this is a situation where the Mets saw a pitcher, Tyler McGill, who was one of their bright spots early, got injured, fought his way back, and now looks like something awful could have happened. Jason Shreve came in for him, led a couple inherited runners score, and you're down 4-1 against a guy in Aaron Ashby who was absolutely cruising in a Brewers bullpen that was without Josh Hader, so not up to usual strength, but still one of the better-ish bullpens in the league. Without Hader, they're probably like a... 60th percentile bullpen. They're not great, but they're not bad. And just like they have all year long, this Mets team does not give up. And I know it was still early in the game, so it'd be a weird time to give up in a three-run baseball game, but they chipped back. They were able to get going, and we'll talk about that more in depth as we get on. And they were also, they were just like the Mets have done all year. There were contributions from insane places, like Mark Hanna had such a good game at a leadoff spot. Tomas Nito had so many good at-bats. He had one at-bat that was really bad in a situation where he could have won the game, but he had so many good at-bats before then. 
just like everyone is chipping in doing their job jd davis big base hit like yep. there's so much going on with this team it's so i don't even know what the word is they persevere they dig deep they work hard they're gritty the mets team is really freaking gritty and another series win that the mets needed especially with the braves pushing up on our heels and the phillies and the phillies pushing up on our heels this was good because we still keep a pretty solid distance so let's go shout, ahead and start up with shout game. out salicata shout out salicata i'll pop off on him here in a second but let's go to game one the Mets did their thing in the first inning that they have done seemingly all year long, at least once a series. They got off hot. Nimmo with that leadoff double. Then Marte got the single, and Pete Alonso drove him in. And it's kind of refreshing that the Mets were able to do this against a guy like Adrian Hauser, who I feel like in the past, past Mets teams, and Adrian Hauser would give them fits. Oh, yeah. But this modern Mets lineup, this contact-oriented Mets lineup, was just like hit, hit, ball and play, ball and play, ball and play. Nimmo double, Marte infield single. Pete had an RBI single, McNeil an RBI double, Eduardo Escobar sack fly, and you're 3 nothing off the bat. This lineup has got you thinking differently, too, because we spoke about this at the Mets game during Game 2, which we were at. You were like, man, I'm really on board with Marte hitting two, and that was something at the beginning of the year, maybe both of us, but a lot more you, was like, I'm not crazy about Marte being our two-hitter, but now the way that this lineup has played out, the way it's been constructed, and the way the team's been hitting, Marte really is kind of a perfect two-hitter in this lineup. I still wouldn't say Marte's a perfect two-hitter, because he's still only a 330 on-base guy, which is like the, f- the fifth highest in our, in our day-to-day lineup, maybe even the sixth highest on-base percentage in this lineup. He doesn't walk a lot. No, he doesn't walk a lot at all. He's walking about 4% of the time on the year, but he makes such consistent content. He always runs such a high BABIP that just... He gets up there, he puts the ball in play, and the fact that he is hitting for more power. Yes. The fact that he's hitting for more power than he basically ever has in his career has shifted my tone. He's He is one of the best hitters in this lineup. And it's also something that eludes me because I'm not a baseball player who played anywhere near anywhere near anything in my life. So there's just something that comes from the spots you hit in the order. Stog Marte as a guy over the last collection of years, as a regular all-star, as a very accomplished Major League veteran, he's been a one or two hitter. And as a manager, you kind of have to respect a guy when that's the case. And sure, again, I would have had Lindor 2, Pete 3, but Pete's thriving in the 4 spot. And there's just something about roles and identities in a baseball team that might supersede the importance of a spot in the lineup order. And I was incorrect about that. I'm happy to be proven wrong. Sometimes you just rock with it if it's been working, and it has been working for the Mets with Nimmo and Marte. And those guys do, at the top of the order, put a lot of pressures on these other teams, like we saw in this game right off the rip, and it makes a difference. And what's the biggest thing about hitting? Comfortability. You gotta be comfortable in there. You gotta be confident. You gotta be chill. You gotta be cool. You gotta be relaxed. And if you're hitting in a spot you've been hitting your whole life, and you're used to it, and you're happy about it, like Pete 4 and Marte 2... It's going to work. It's good. And especially when the Mets get out to a 3 nothing lead in game one and Bassett's on the mound and he goes right back to his Chris Bassett form. He was phenomenal. Incredible. Chris Bassett, I was never really worried about him at all. Especially no. as much as some people were. Like, I don't think either of us were. No. We talked about it in the last episode. We're like, yes, the numbers of like the last five starts, the ERA is ugly, but we said it was the Giants twice. Yeah. And the Padres? No, not the Padres. Who was it? Padres. Yeah, Padres. Padres yeah. crushed them last time. So it was like, oh, wow, three good teams. But I did a little... Or two. I did a little video breakdown on Twitter before this game on Monday of Bassett getting blown up in San Diego. And we just we were just so hot during that episode. Anyway, forgot to mention it. There were zero hard hit balls by the Padres in that game. Really? Zero hard hit balls. Wow. You, you didn't see the video I put on Twitter. No, I did. I didn't see your video. <laughs> I've been busy this week. Yeah, I have sure, friends yeah, in town. friends in town, yeah. But... It, like the Padres had four run scoring hits, two of them were in good spots that were just like good pieces of hitting by Eric Hosmer and Manny Machado that were just like gotten through the infield, and then two were just balls that missed their spots and got a little too much played against Cronenworth and Profar. It like four run scoring hits, no hard hit balls, and people were like ready to like jump off a bridge for Chris Bassett. He faced the minimum through the first four innings in this Brewers game. It only got broken up by a Francisco Lindor error. But even with that, he got double plays in three straight innings. No Brewer ever reached third base. And by, sick. The, and by the end of it, it was eight innings pitch, three hits, one walk, one or two guys reach on air, seven strikeouts, no earned runs. And he was able to use those five pitches again to an effective use because that's one of the things that makes Chris Bassett great. Having those five pitches like we've spoke about, it six. makes him hard. Or six, yeah. It makes him really hard to prepare for and game plan. Big thing with Bassett in this game, he did make a slight adjustment. He threw he one of his highest curveball usage rates of the entire season. If you think back to that first start he made with the Mets, yeah. when he was breaking off those curveballs in Washington, and we were like, this pitch is a weapon. And historically, his career is a weapon. But he's kind of gone away from it in favor of more sliders. But he threw a lot this game, and he got four whiffs on 10 swings. And his sinker also had five whiffs, which is nearly the most that pitch has had any start for him this whole season. And five different pitches generated a whiff, which is the recipe for success for Bassett. Put that all together, and it was his best start as a Met. I just love to see that he's able to kind of change with what the matchup is. He used the curveball more this time because it probably was better against the Brewers. This is what's great about this Mets team. They're using information. They're using it the right way, and it's helping them win games. And 
the fact that he was able to say what he said after that Padres start and bounce back with flying colors and just be in complete control against a team that's not really a good lineup, but there are a lot of guys who I'd say take good at bats. Yeah. I mean, like, they're a pesky lineup. They're, the Brewers have an annoying lineup. There's a lot of hitters in this team. Again, you're not going to see these guys in the All-Star game. You're not looking for these baseball cards, but no. these are guys who play good baseball. Yeah, and that's really all we needed, honestly. Bassett was lights out. Like we said, the eight innings. We tacked on another run with Pete, getting an RBI late, helping the MVP chance continue on. Vote for Pete Alonso in the All-Star game. If you're not voting for him, what are you doing? You get five votes a day. It's simple. It takes five seconds. Vote for Pete so he starts. And that was it. Super clean ninth inning from Drew Flo. He looks like he's maybe maybe back on track, looking better than he was at one point. Yeah, something else that was critical in this game, maybe not critical because it didn't wind up being as important, but Adrian Hauser threw nearly 40 pitches in that first inning. Yeah. You knocked him out of this game in the fifth inning on a Pete Alonso RBS single. The Brewers had to dip into uh, relievers early. Again, didn't really matter because Bruce Suter or Brent, Brent Suter? Brent Suter. Yeah, Bruce Suter's dad. No, I don't think they're related. Is there related. even a Bruce Suter? There is a Bruce Suter. He's a Hall of Fame closer. There it is. Yeah. All right. He he threw he got through more than an inning with only twelve pitches, and then and Trevor Kelly got through the last I think two or three with only a few. See how that guy throws? It's funky. Yeah. It's like some submarine, but he kind of shot puts it. This is what the Brewers do. They're yeah. ra- they're raised north. They are raised north. The uh, Twins are kind of becoming raised northish in a way, but the Brewers have more of that raised vibe. But you not you get a lot of pitches in a guy like that. The first game of a three game series, like that, is how eventually you get a game like Game Three. Also helps that Josh Hader isn't playing, yes. and, you, and you're getting to a team's bullpen. But that that's very important. That's just one of those like nasty, grimy things this Mets team does well. Super clean winning game yes. one. I mean, these games, honestly, outside of game three, were pretty straightforward. This was this was a game where you could be on the field and be like, the Mets are the better team. For sure, without a doubt. Now, game two, Not, if you watch this game, you would think the complete opposite. You'd watch and go, oh, poop fest, bad. And to be fair, it was David Peterson versus Corbin Burns. So, I mean, if you're a betting man... 90% of the time you're picking the Brewers there just because of the pitching matchup alone. It really doesn't matter who's hitting at that point. No, I mean, Corbin Burns is the defending National League Cy Young winner and David Peterson, while we've given him a lot of credit in the show this year, he's at best a good average Major League starter. He's still developing. He's still learning. He's still kind of honing in on his craft. And we saw it early in the first inning. He just but, did not have it from the start. But it's not that they didn't have it. This just made this start all the more frustrating. And we didn't get exactly the best eye in this game because we were at the stadiums. We weren't able to see these pitches up close, but... The fact that Christian Yelich and Willie Adamas both made solid contact first two batters of the game. The Brewers are also very good stacking their lineup to hit lefties. It's yeah. one of the things they honestly do best. Yelich lined out, went to the wall. Adamas hit a sharp double. And then he had Andrew McCutcheon down 0-1. Back foot slider, hit him on the back foot. And you're like, crap. Then he had Hunter Renfro down 1-2. Back foot slider, hit him on the back foot. And you look up and you're like, fuck, you're pitching well. You're executing your plan. And it's just... Maybe that's a scouting report now on David Peterson. Like, sometimes those sliders come a little in, and it's like, it's not an easy pitch to hit. It's not going to hurt you that bad. Maybe it was just he didn't, he didn't finish the pitch, came in too far, lost command of it a little bit. But those are two back foot sliders that have been so, so, so effective for Peterson over this run, where he has been, I would say, very important to the success of this team as we've been struggling to get through innings. Definitely. And then the bases are loaded, one out, and Luis Urias, Luis Urias hits a seeing eye single and two run score. Yeah, and that was a little bit deflating, but again, it was early in the game, and it felt like the Mets, especially coming off that nice, clean win in game one, like, okay, we're still not out of it. And what really hurt, though, is we did have a chance in the first inning. We had a shot. Nimmo and Marte singled early, both getting on base, and the Mets just kind of left them there. They didn't do anything, and that's... Me and you have talked about before. When the Mets leave guys out in the first inning, that's usually a bad omen, yeah. and this one couldn't have missed or couldn't have hit any better. Also, there was a moment where some, something similar happened in Game 3 where we gave up all the runs in yeah. the fourth inning. You came back, you got one. You get one, the guys are in the dugout, you're high-fiving, guard. we're back, we're back, we're back. The fact that the Mets had first and second on with the heart of the order up, Francisco Lindor had an ugly strikeout bad. on a Corbin Burns cutter. Lindor, it, I mean, we talk about him when he's hot. Lindor is ice cold right now. Still, still hitting the ball hard. Also made a bad play defensively in this game, but he's climbing up the defensive charts. Had a big argument with the kid today. He's probably listening to this about OAA versus DRS. OAA is just significantly better. I thought so too. This guy was yelling at me. I ended up because he was like he was ripping me so much. I like read Tom Tango's manifesto about OAA. They came out with a few years ago when they released it for infield. And this kid's comments to me made no sense. You know who you are if you're listening to this salt. Yeah. His, oh, name, his name on Twitter is Salt. Okay. His only tweets are responding to me, you, Worthy, and Jolly. Negative things about Francisco Lindor. Interesting. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a pro hater. You got to give him some no, credit. No, I I give anyone credit for being good or anything, and being that good of a hater, I give you all the credit in the world. Again, 
professional hater. And, yeah. and Lindor's hand definitely seems to be bothering him For ever sure. since he slammed his finger in the door in Los Angeles. I think Howie said tonight, he's like, I don't want to say the stat, but he's not hitting well since then. Like, there's a hard line. I don't think he's driven in a run since then. Really? I don't think so. I think wow. in, I think they said coming into this game, at least his last nine games, he had not yet driven in a run after he had 22 in the previous yeah, whatever games. 10 it was going to be. But... He's struggling. The bat looks a little bit slow. It's also Corbin Burns. It's also Corbin Burns. Exactly. That, that color is one of the best pitchers in baseball. And right it's after disgusting. Lindor like, had a bad at-bat, Pete had a bad at-bat too. He had a very lazy foul ball to Kesson here that was caught. And then McNeil, just classic Jeff McNeil, had the best at-bat of this middle of the order. Thank God he's hitting fifth now. And he smoked one down the line, 96 off the bat. The Kesson here made one of the best defensive plays his entire career. And let's be honest, Jeff McNeil is due for some of those outs. Because yeah, he's, yeah, he's been getting some easy hits that, you know, the numbers aren't great on them. He's due to make a hard out every once in a while. It's unfortunate it came in that scenario, not when the Mets are up, you know, 10 nothing or something like that. Especially because in this game, if it's 2 nothing, then that ball gets down the line. It's 2-2. Two, 2-2. Two. Two, two. And you get, two, you get two of Corbin Burns in the first inning, you're alive. You're feeling good With off the NL Cy Young like that. Obviously, that was not the case, though, no. because the Brewers just kind of kept scratching away, kind of yeah. going at Peterson. He just he wasn't sharp. That's really what it came down to. He wasn't better than Corbin Burns, which I can't knock him about, because obviously that's going to be tough to do for anybody in the league. He just got beat. But I still feel like something that really shows David Peterson's growth this year compared to the David Peterson we used to see is that... He wasn't sharp, and things weren't going that well behind him, and he wasn't freaking out. He wasn't sulking. That's huge. Yeah, like in that, it was that was the fourth inning. That was when we were walking around the ballpark. Yeah. There was that double play ball that McNeil just didn't get a grip on it, it looked like, and kind of spiked it, let another run in. And like the fact that things weren't going well behind Peterson, but he was able to kind of sit where he was, and is kind of showing the fact that he's like shrunk his range of outcomes, which we always, he's still probably the similar ceiling, but the fact that the lows aren't as low as they were from the old David Peterson, and that comes from the new fastball slider Peterson. That comes from growth and maturity. That probably comes from another year with Jeremy Hefner. That comes from the newfound confidence of this Mets team. But if we have to pull a positive from this game, it's the fact that things can fall apart around Peterson and the game will no longer fall apart. Yeah, it's a good point, because it really wasn't his fault when the game did fall it apart. It just was chaos. Jake Reed came in, and just he's, he's going to get hit sometimes. He is our last reliever, essentially, on this roster. But even when Jake Reed came in, there were no runs in. It was first and second, two out. And you hit Keston Hero with a pitch. You do give up a bases loaded walk, whoever was after Hero. I don't remember who it was, but it was not someone intimidating. And then Lorenzo King, ground ball to Lindor, couldn't make a play. It was ruled a hit. Probably could have been, I don't know, whatever. We, I didn't really get a good look at it. Mark and I were, were doing some stuff during this. But Behind the scenes. Sure. And then Jace Peterson hit a couple RBI double. Willie Adams, Andrew McCutcheon just got RBI singles, just pouring it on. This is when just the floodgates had opened. Trevor Williams was in. We just put our hands up, and this game was out of reach. To be fair, we definitely missed the worst setting of Mets baseball all year. Yes, we did. And, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, especially based on what we were actually doing. But yeah. You blink into seven run inning, game's over, boop fest, good night. Jeff McNeil hit a home run this game. That's yeah. a cool little tidbit because we like to see Jeff McNeil get those numbers up. Vote Jeff McNeil for the MLB All Star game. You look at the second baseman, Jeff's got a pretty good fight. He's sitting what, 330? Yeah. With like five homers and 830 like 830 OPS. Oh, does he have 30 RBIs? I don't know how many RBIs he has, but he's having a really, really good year. And at the absolute minimum, Jeff McNeil needs to be on the All Star team. How he said today, I think he either has one of the highest or the highest batting average runners in scoring position. Oh, no, he's been unbelievably good this year. 30, 31 RBIs. That's, yeah, that's that's the starting second baseman in the National League. 142 WRC plus. Exactly, basically where he sat in 2019, the best year of his career. Yeah, that's a disgusting year. And that's with power, too, in 2019. Yeah. So, vote McNeil for second base. That's pretty much it for this game. That's no, all we got. Poop fest. Poop fest. Poop fest. That one bad inning, it just kind of fell apart, but you're... I don't know. The way the Mets pitching is lined up right now, it's really going to be hard for us to sweep a team that's not a fake team. Yeah. Or, like, until we have, like, three legit back-to-back guys going in a row like or against a bad team. Or even right. if it's not back-to-back-to-back guys. Like, Peterson, I would say, at this point, in what's going on, he is a guy we can trust relatively. But just the fact that you can be losing by a few runs and it's the fourth inning and you— or that was the fifth inning. That fifth was the fifth inning. inning. Yeah. And you have to bring in Jake Reed. You yeah, know what I mean, like you bring Jake Reed in a game where you're like, I hope something good happens. You're kind of hoping for the best outcome of he keeps it so close. Yeah, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. It's just a game. Yep. So that was a bad one. Poop fest. Let's move on to game three. This is the big one of the series. This yeah. is the one we just watched. James just biked over from Brooklyn, so record time. Hoofed it. I got from Brooklyn to Astoria in like 33 minutes. I literally can't believe it. This this is a dedicated episode, boys, because we have to get this one out soon because of what's happening next. I was out in uh, Manhattan with my friends who are visiting. Shout out to Bengal and Healy along with not the expert, Drew. We were hanging out. 
I had to take an Uber back, and then I'm as soon as this episode is done, I'm heading back to Brooklyn. And I, I work full time now, so I've been up earlier than I have been in months for the last couple of days. I got home from work today, working man James fell asleep promptly just for no good reason, missed the first, first inning of this game, <laughs> and then popped up. I was like, oh crap! I had to make dinner, do the notes, then bike myself bike my ass over here. And honestly, it's nice because we did get a win. Yes, we did get a win, which makes oh. all of this way more worth it. If there's anyone out there, I mean, I'm sure there are people, probably no one listening to the show, but I was animated on my bike listening to Howie. I was up in the air. I was pumping my fist. I was screaming some let's goes on the Queen streets at 1030 at night. It was a, it was a scene, man. I screamed on an 0-2 pitch. Like, for the strike two, I was like, that's it. Let's That's the pitch, Edwin. Like, it was... We'll talk about it. Let's talk about it. Yeah. The lineup was interesting, and that's because Starling Marte was out because he got hit in game two. His mm-hmm. wrist was bothering him. He could not swing a bat. That's what they said. He was able to run. We saw him at the end of the game. Not able to swing. Concerning a little bit. Let's yeah. keep an eye out for what that's going to look like for Starling as we go here. And then Eduardo Escobar at the time, we did not know why he was scratched from the lineup late, but he was not in it. You're saying that like we still know what it is. Escobar, now we've learned after the game from Buck Showalter that he was... Scratched and not present, I believe. Yeah, he. I don't think he was at the stadium today. No, I didn't. There was no, they didn't show him one time on TV, and it was for a non-workplace event. Which we still don't know. I hope everything's okay for Eduardo Escobar and his family. Yeah, me too. This sounds like something that is like private and probably was or is kind of a scary and developing situation. So, or maybe it isn't. But shout out Eduardo Escobar. Everyone just maybe relax, give some privacy. Definitely. And we had Mark Hanna leading off this game. Nimmo going too, which was. I think the first time we've seen that with Nimmo in the lineup. I don't recall Brand Nimmo ever hitting second for this Mets team. Which was interesting. I don't know if I like it. I don't hate it. But yeah, I, I think that's where I stand, though. I don't hate it. It's not... I mean, Brand Nimmo, if you have the skill set to be leadoff, you have the skill set to be two. Pound for pound, he's one of the best hitters in this lineup, so I have no qualms with him, too. And Mark Hanna just lives on base. Crushes lefties, too. Yeah. Absolutely crushes lefties. And we saw it happen in the first inning, too. Canna walks, Nimmo hit by pitch, and then Jeff McNeil... Didn't this make Nimmo either... I think this brought him into second place alone in the all-time Mets hit-by-pitch ranks. I didn't know that. Well, this is what you get for when you listen to Howie. Pulled him ahead of... Uh, wait, so I guess I must have fallen asleep right after this first inning, because I remember this. Maybe I slept from like the second to the fourth. Yeah, I don't know what your sleep yeah, schedule is like now. I, just, I, just, I knocked. I don't know what the hell happened. But. Got a big hit from Jeff McNeil, though. Yes, there you go. Two out of RBI from one of the best hitters with runs in scoring position in all of baseball. Because Lindor and Pete failed to get him in. A little bit disappointing, but McNeil... Ground ball up the middle. Brewers were not shifting, weirdly enough, with two outs on Jeff McNeil. We'll I, take it. We'll take it. Yeah, but do you shift on Jeff McNeil these days? What do the numbers tell you? You got to trust the numbers. And I feel like the numbers probably tell you still on the ground he hits the ball to the right side more than the left. I don't know about you. I trust the Brewers' numbers. I, uh, you're right. I, who am I to think that the Brewers and David Stearns don't know what they're doing over myself? I mean, McNeil is one of those curious cases because he is a spray guy. and He has talked about out loud that when he comes up to the plate, like he's looking. Or I don't know if he said this, or maybe like Gary or Keith or Howie think, or someone I think said one of this. Them, yeah. Basically, like, I guess maybe this is just his, their perception of the old school McNeil. He's like, a, he's looking at the defense. He's looking to see where he can squeak one through, like a quarterback before the snap. And if you look at McNeil this year, he's being shifted on about one third of his plate appearances. He has a slightly higher Woba with the shift on than without it on. If you look at the spray chart, he has slightly, he has more hits to the pull side, but he's basically the same amount of percentages balls pulled and opposite field with his highest percentage coming up the middle. So maybe. A guy like McNeil, you probably need like a creative shift. It's probably not going to be a traditional yeah. shift, but there should be some infielders playing somewhere unique. But Not our problem. No, I don't care. We not our problem. We're run. happy. We're very happy with that. We got our run early, which was nice. Needed it. McGill on the mound, though. That was the real story right now early in this game. He was fine until he wasn't. That's kind of his story today. Um, I'm kind of frustrated about this whole Tyler McGill situation. I, I don't know. It seems like... The writing of something like this could have been on the walls here for the last month and a half, and I'm fr- I'm just frustrated because this is exactly what happened to him the last time out. He came out in the first inning. He was pumping 98, 99. Everything looked like classic Tyler McGill. I say classic Tyler McGill. I mean April Tyler McGill. Yeah. And the slider was working. It looked great. 98, 99. Second and third inning, 97, 98, some 96s. And he was sitting there fine. And again, that slider looked really good. He got five whiffs on like 15 swings. I, th- I think he struck out four of the first five batters he faced as well. And he was rocking. You could see he was jacked up. Like this was like, all right, it's happening again. But just like the last start and just like what happened the last handful of starts before he went in the IL initially, he started just losing the velocity. He threw one pitch 92 miles an hour and he looked in the dugout and you just knew something was very, very wrong. Yeah. Uh, it's a shoulder impingement, I believe. Or sh- no, not impingement. Shoulder discomfort is someone what they said. Someone else has an impingement right now. Yeah, someone else has an impingement. Who has the impingement? Another pitcher. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever it is. But he had shoulder discomfort, which is concerning 
because the injury before wasn't shoulder. The injury before was bicep, apparently. Now we're hearing about the shoulder. Seems like this right arm or everything going on there with Tyler McGill might be a little bit weak right now. And I, I'm not mad, per se, necessarily like you. Like, I know you're a little perturbed. Yeah. But for me, I think it's more so of, like, Definitely Tyler McGill comes out wanting to impress and being like, I need to throw 100 miles an hour right now. So I think it's a little bit of learning on his side on how to really pitch and not use it all in the first sitting. But don't we have coaches? Yeah, but you got to remember, like players will do what they want. Still, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much the coaching does. And then two, maybe this was just him being pushed a little bit too far. I'm still optimistic that this shoulder thing is just going to be a dead arm situation of like, I'm just tired. I didn't have enough juice in the tank. You know, thinking backyard baseball, the little juice meter when you were playing that. Maybe he was just low on juice. And maybe he needed a juice box. But there is real concern here when you start talking shoulders. Yeah, this is legit scary. But again, it brings me back to this point that I think there was probably a better way to deploy Tyler McGill than how he's been deployed thus far. And possibly that's just because there's no Jacob deGrom. There hasn't been any Max Scherzer. We were missing some Taiwan Walker in the beginning. We talked about this in spring training and the fact that his marquee role, especially after watching him last year and seeing his ups and downs, was probably as this two to four, 60 pitch type guy. In in 2022. In 2022. Not, yeah. if, not forever. But I'm saying right now, you look at the way a guy like, I say him all the time, Drew's Musin was deployed last year. The way like Tyler Wells is being deployed right now. The way the Rays are doing it now with Jeffrey Springs, basically the new Drew's Musin. Keegan Aiken, another Orioles. They're all AL East uh, com- comparables right there. But it's just, it's there's a lot to being a starting pitcher, and a lot of it's physical and a lot of it's mental. Part of it is understanding what you have in the tank. And this is something I don't understand, something I'll never understand. But just from watching certain guys do it, and some guys do it better than others, it just seems like Tyler McGill, something that he struggled with, is being able to sh- spread out his endurance over the course of a full start, a, tra- a start in the traditional sense. And it looks like there is a chance that's going to come back and hurt the Mets, but more so McGill. And that makes me sad because he looked like early in the year he could have been one of the bright rising stars of this league. And I'm just really sad for him. Yeah, I'm really hoping that tomorrow's MRI or whatever results they're going to get come back as no damage, no injury, another IL stint just to rest him. Because I I really do think that there is a, a, a solid chance that Tyler McGill is just tired and wasn't ready to come back and sure. his arm is dead. But at the same time, now if that is the case, the Mets have to come up with a plan to utilize him properly because we can't keep doing this every two starts. And you're looking at back-to-back IL stints that had to do with the right arm. Yeah. And then this is the, he, he was only throwing, what, seven innings since he even came off the IL? Yeah, not and many. And the last start was exactly like how this one was. At one point in the middle of the game, the velocity just went away. And that happened the last few starts before. And it's just... It makes me frustrated. There's a better way to handle it than they have, I think, right probably. now. I think that's I think that's probably the most fair way to say this. We're not Fingers, experts. We don't really know. We're no. just, it just the, the way it looks, it looks like so they could have, something could have been done differently. Fingers crossed, prayers up, hoping that everything ends up going well for Tyler McGill because, of course, this team is better when we have him. And until Scherzer and DeGrom come back, we do need him. Yeah, and in any role, just Tyler McGill pitching is good for the Mets. Like Tyler McGill's stuff is great. Tyler McGill is on the precipice of being like a true breakout star like he has the foundational pieces to do it and just it just takes a little like it's kind of something that Scherzer said about rehabbing the oblique it's kind of true of young pitchers like it's easy to get 90% of the way there and the battle is the last 10% and Tyler McGill has gotten 90% of the way there to being a legit career reliable major league baseball starting pitcher and this kind of you know screwed everything up here to going into the rest of the game as well just because McGill all of a sudden now is coming out of the game yeah and it is the injury thing so we have to get someone ready we have to get someone going and it goes to Chase and Shreve who I don't blame him he came in to a tough scenario it's not like he came in and it was bases empty or anything like that like he still had inherited runners but the thing that's been going on with Chase and Shreve at least recently that it seems from the viewer perspective of a mind is he can get ahead on these batters but he can't get that strikeout and when you're chasing Shreve who has an, not a great fastball, not a great slider, and a good splitter. That's not a lot of swing and miss stuff. And balls being put in play, as we know, are just worse than strikes outs and swing and misses, which is something that you know the Mets pitchers prioritize. Yeah, and Omar Narvaez, who's just a is a good good ball player, good baseball pesky, player, pesky pesky type of catcher who got a nice ruby single, and then Hunter Renfro worked a hell of an at bat, hell of an at bat, nine pitches to the ground ball to Guillorme. That would have been a tough turn. They just couldn't do it. Him and McNeil. And now it's 4-1, and you're like, crap. We're looking at an uphill battle with our bullpen against Aaron Ashby, who's pitching very well after that tough-ish first inning, and things did not look that good. But 
in Mets fashion, they came back and they answered. It yes. wasn't a full comeback, but they did answer. And that was with Tomas Nito, who we mentioned earlier in the show, had some big at-bats. And this is something that we've now seen a little bit more from Tomas Nito throughout the season, is he's really having good quality at-bats. He's not getting completely pushed over. He doesn't look overpowered as much as he has in the past. And we saw it in this inning where he was able to just kind of flare one to right field and get us a run in to make it 4-2. to two. Just a good ball player. Hitting the ball a little bit harder, too. It wasn't this at bat necessarily. We had a couple hard hit balls over the course of the series, and he's got to be thrilled with the way Tomas Nito's played this year. And he's normally our nine hitter. This game he was hitting eight because they had to throw Plummer into the game because of all the other things that were going on with Marte and Escobar being out, and especially against a lefty, they they really don't want to play Plummer. But no. Tomas Nito got it. Your man's up being thrown out at third, which I didn't like. That's Describe not... the play. Yeah, so there was a, the flare hit to right field. Guillermo's on first. Nimmo, not Nimmo, whoever was on second base scores easily. It was McNeil. It was McNeil. He scores easily. But the play was close, actually, on the score because Guillaume tries to go first to third. Hunter Renfro's got a hose. It seems like the Mets were testing him a little bit more because I think Guillaume also got hosed in game two, if I remember correctly. I don't know why they're testing Hunter Renfro. It's been well known that he's... Yeah, someone got thrown out second base in game two. Yeah, I think it was Guillaume. Also, we didn't mention game two that Brandon Nimmo hit, I think it was his sixth or seventh triple of the year. Yeah. Leads the league. Leads the league. But Giorma gets thrown out at third, almost makes a sick, sick slide. He he avoids the tag originally, moves the arm up, just couldn't get the hand back in, gets tagged. McNeil's run to score. It was weird because I forgot that Nito was not hitting ninth, and I was like, man, you can't make the last out at third with the top of the order coming back up. But I did then remember Nick Plummer's up, and Aaron Ashby at the time was pretty much cruising. Yeah. So it was tough. I would have liked to see him go another way, but as we, it, it worked out, so I really don't care. I'm not going to nitpick too much. But that was an interesting play, Giorma getting thrown out by Ronda Renfro again. No, but the big thing here was that the Mets had just had a rough inning. You lost your starting pitcher. Your reliever came in, didn't clean up the mess as well as possible. So a few runs in Harry. There wasn't crazy. No hard hit balls, really. But you felt like you can get back in it. You got that run immediately, right back, and you feel like something is happening. And also, something else to help the Mets is that right after McGill got taken out of the game for injury, the same thing happened to Aaron Ashby, who had some forearm tightness, which... As a baseball fan, you hate seeing that because Ashby has been one of the real breakout pitchers of the last month, at least. No, he's looked really good. He was very impressive. His curveball at times hangs. At times it doesn't. Young pitcher, he's got good stuff, and it's the Brewers organization. You know he's going to be great. Throws that two-seamer. It doesn't even make any sense. No, and his changeup's really nice, too. I was impressed by his changeup. He's he's a very good pitcher. He's made... Coming up last year, like seeing how he pitched in the upper minors, like he was one of the most underrated, unheralded pitching prospects in all of baseball. He had no buzz for as good yeah. results he had, and as much of like an innings workload he had built up, and pitching this organization, like he was a lock to be one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. I don't know why other people weren't talking about that. No, he was like barely the top hundred guy. Yeah, I think it's just because his stuff doesn't light up the radar gun. I really think that's probably it. You know why else? It's funny. I think he wears glasses. Uh, well, he didn't wear glasses today. Really? He used to wear glasses. Yeah, I yeah. think this part of him being good is dropping yeah. the glasses. <laughs> you gotta kill the Rex specs. Gotta kill the Rex specs. That being said, we talked about answering back in that next inning scoring a run. Shout to Chase and Shreve, who yeah, I thought might be did. on the chopping block. I thought there was a chance that Chase and Shreve could have been cut based on this performance and just how he'd looked this entire like month of June. It feels yeah. like he hasn't been as sharp, but he came out and he held the Brewers at bay, yes. which was huge because it still kept the Mets in this game. And then that now brings to the fifth inning where Mark Canna, right before Ashby gets knocked out of the game, hits a big two-run home run big. to tie the game up. Buck Showalter Masterclass. That's all I'm going to say. Buck Showalter Masterclass. And Marky Cheerios Leadoff Masterclass. Mark Canna is just, he's so Cheerios. It's unbelievable. He's so reliable. He's actually kind of more interesting than we really lead on. He's a big foodie. Big foodie. He's like a really like, I don't know, he seems like a very intelligent, like educated guy too. And he's a good baseball player. Damn good baseball player. Damn good baseball player. And happy he's on this team because he's the exact kind of guy who makes this team significantly better. He's just so many things that we just... The Mets teams in the past just haven't done. Like, he takes so many good at bats. He usually just plays, like, very clean, good, quality defense in the corner after the spot. It's not great. Mark Hanna's not making flashy plays. Mark Hanna's not throwing the ball from the left field fence to home plate no. on a hop. But Mark Hanna's just, like, he's a good ball player. He helps the team win. He's a throwback. He's hitting 295 with a 378 on base, 782 OPS, which is over his career highs no, and I everything. I can't believe his batting average that high. And the fact that he even has five home runs. Like, I thought Mark Hanna coming into the year would kind of get swallowed up by City Field. And kind of still sit with that 250, 260 average with like 12 homers, 13 home runs by the end of it. 
him keeping that average up, which could be, I mean, it's probably, it could be Mark Hanna playing good baseball, which I'm sure it is, but this could be a nod to the Mets hitting development. It yeah. really could be. I'm sure that's helping a lot of these guys to sustain these relatively high averages compared to the rest of the league. Lots of love for Eric Chavez, it feels like oh, recently. Yeah. Lots of love, especially from Keith. It feels like Keith wants to hang out with Eric Chavez, get a beer. And it's also crazy, a guy we haven't mentioned in a year, it seems like Mets fans hate him, but Hugh Quilebaum has like a very prominent role still in this organization with hitting development. I'm sure that there are, like, there's a lot of cues coming down from Hugh. Cue from Hugh. Yep. No, it was, it was really, really good. It was nice. I was happy. I was happy to see that the Mets and Mark Cano were starting to cook here. And then Seth Lugo came in the game a little bit early, which I liked. I really liked that Seth Lugo came in in kind of what we've seen him use in the past before and something that we loved him being used in the past before in a little bit of a stretch role. He went two innings for the Mets, struck out four and only gave up one hit. He was dominant. It was as good as he's looked all year. And we got a little bit of insight, too, into Seth Lugo and what's kind of been going on in his personal life. And it does give us, at least the fans, some really good perspective. Because I'm going to be honest, I did not know about this. I had no oh, clue. I had no idea. So apparently Seth Lugo's son had a hole or holes in his heart up until he was about two years old. And the last year plus-ish, I don't know the exact dates again, he had been going through surgeries. He had been going through medical procedures. Like There were serious things that were way bigger than baseball in Seth Lugo's life that I'm sure were probably playing in his head a lot. So when you see these guys struggle, it's, it's, it's hard to remember when you're watching the game in the moment that these are also humans and that things happen. And Seth Lugo might have something going on off the field that he just can't control. But it does. It's it's a nice reminder that these guys are human, and it's good to see now that Seth Lugo's son seems to be doing well, and Seth Lugo also seems to be doing well. Which it's just you know keep it all in mind when we start talking about guys. No, it's good perspective. That's yeah. also good for us sometimes. It's also good for us too. Yeah, I definitely need it too. We saw him struggle early in the year. We saw him struggle a little bit last year. It's probably a good reason why you got bigger things on your plate. Yeah, but he performed a very vital role for the Mets in this game, pitching a clean and dominant sixth and seventh innings, keeping this game tied. For a little while, again, this Brewers offense isn't one that really strikes fear into you, but just being able to to keep them down, keep them at bay. Hobby, how do you pronounce the guy's name? Hobby Milner? Hobie. Hobie. Hobie Milner did the same thing for the Brewers. Another guy who's like a reliever who seems fake that the Brewers just invented and has good stats this year. But Seth Luger doing that was big. The Mets had a mini rally in the bottom of the seventh inning. It looked like they were going to jump ahead, and they didn't capitalize on it. But one thing that did happen that inning that I thought was really cool was the fact that Jeff McNeil is hitting in the five hole. Pilonda came up. With a man scoring position, two outs, and first base open, he was actually pitched to. Which is nice. Yes, and they seemed like there was like a pitch a pitch around, got to 3-0, and then on a 3-0 pitch, Pete hit a laser foul, looked at a fastball that I just, he got a 3-0 changeup, and they got the 3-1 fastball. It's so crazy that modern baseball is just completely spinning these guys' minds around. I know. It's messed up that like, you could have gone back 10 years ago, and that's a guaranteed fastball. And yeah, right? now it's a changeup in a good spot. And the 3-1 fastball caught him off guard, and he was stuck looking at a pitch that was basically right down the middle, very hittable. And then he ended up getting the walk. McNeil didn't cash in. But just the fact that McNeil is protecting Pete right now, that is a good thing that is going to get P. Alonso more quality at bats late in games. Something we've been calling for for a while. Begging, screaming. So thank you, Buck. Thank you, Buck Showalter. Showalter Masterclass. Showalter Masterclass. And honestly, up until then, like it, it was just kind of boring. Wait, it was kind of quiet. I remember what happened at seventh inning. That okay, I go for about. it. Go for it. Canna got, on, Canna got on base, and he had a very heady steal after getting hit, yes. hit in the knuckle. And it looked like it was a situation where... Maybe he was going to have to leave the game. Looked like he was kind of grimacing, but the Mets did not have a bench player available. No. With no Escobar and no Marte. That was a gritty moment for Marky Chirios, and the fact that he parlayed that right into a stolen base, I thought was very, very good baseball. And he, first stolen base as a Met, he got a hell of a lead on, I don't remember if it was Hobby or if this was Boxberger. It was Boxberger, yeah. Boxberger. But he just started walking in second. No one looked at him, and he slid in head first ahead of the throw. And he got himself in the scoring position in the bottom of the seventh inning, giving the Mets more chances to get that go-ahead run. Yeah, they didn't end up getting it. No. Leads us to the eighth. Drew Smith wasn't his sharpest by any means. Gave him a couple of hits, but he ended up getting out of it with no problems, no runs. We now head to the bottom of the eighth inning. Brent Suter in the game, who we saw earlier in game one, which again, you see a guy a second time in three days, you're feeling a lot better. And it looked like the Mets felt a little bit more comfortable against Brent Suter. They didn't necessarily hit rockets off of him, but the at-bats were much better. No, and JD, guy who we've been begging to be in the lineup more consistently, some of the best quality contact in baseball, had a leadoff single. This was one of those moments where I was on my bike. I was coming down. I think I was still in 21st in uh, LIC, coming off the Pulaski Bridge. I was just like pumping my fist on like a road with cars. People were like, what the fuck is this kid doing? But big, big leadoff single. Get the leadoff man on, anything like that. You feel like you're going to score a run. And this train kind of kept going. Luis Guillorme worked, had a couple foul balls, working on that bat like Guillorme does. Sick at bat. There was a moment where it kind of seemed like he might bunt. Yeah, he did try to yeah. bunt 0-1. He went down 0-2. It worked all the way to 3-2. Yeah, a nimmo. 
Ended up putting the ball in play. Hit it to Rowdy Telez, who I guess had been playing, honestly, okay first base this year for the Brewers. They said that was his first error. He completely botched the throw. That's, if you're the Brewers, that's a trade-off you just have to make. Yeah, I mean... You'll, he, you'll take a slightly subpar glove for a significantly above-average bat. And it was huge, because that allowed him to go to third base now, yes. which... No Gives us a first and third with no outs. Tomas Nito coming up, who they talked about on the broadcast, had been hitting 500 in his last like 20 at-bats with runners scoring position. And on the year, he was hitting 380 with runners in scoring position. So while the numbers traditionally aren't lighting up the boards, when it matters the most, Tomas Nito has shown up. This time he did not. No, he struck out. But also like Tomas Nito's 380 runs in scoring position. That's probably also like a 410 slug. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. And they're singles. Yeah. They're all singles for but Tomas Nito. That's all, all you need sometimes. That's fine. That's good. It works. The Mets are winning games. And then Nick Plummer comes to the plate in a situation where he's facing a tough lefty in Brent Suter. There's literally no one else. Starling Marte pinch ran for J.D. Davis at third base. Mm-hmm. So this was interesting too. And another ground ball to Rowdy Telez, who instead of coming home because Marte did not go on contact, Held. which made it, uh, Keith and them were like, couldn't believe that Marte didn't go on contact. Yeah. They were mind blown. So Rowdy Telez had to go to second. And because the infield was in, which was also a weird call yeah. because of first and third with one out, they made a bad throw to Willie Adames, who couldn't turn two, and the Mets score a run. Kind of luckily. And Marte breaks the second that Riley takes his eyes off him and turns around and throws the ball to second base. And there was no way, even with a good throw, I think, no. that Willie Adams could have grabbed that and snapped home. No. Marte's wrist was bothering him. He ran fine. He broke home there. I was I was just kind of nervous that Plummer was going to strike out just being yeah. like lefty-lefty. Was, I was having some palpitations. But great, great hustle by Plummer. Great Great baseball acumen by Marte. Tough decision by Rowdy, but he's, again, he's not the most cerebral defender in baseball. Also, no. it wasn't like the worst play in the world. It was just... He, it was actually the right play. because he Technically, it was. Because yeah. he, he Marte back. wasn't going. Yeah. So you get the force out at second trying to turn two. It's just an impossible Truthfully, play when the infield's in. You, the right play probably was Step just stepping first. on the bag. Yeah. Because you, 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 you got to like... That's like Marte kind of bait him into it. Which yeah. Again, that's a guy like Sorry Marte. He'd been in the league a decade, fast, smart, savvy guy. That's Heads what up. you do. Heads up play. <sighs> that's such a good play. And that's all we needed because now we got the one-run lead. We go to the ninth inning. Edwin Diaz. Got interesting. Got a little interesting, but it like it didn't, it didn't. Because Renfro's hit Bloop. was the hanging slider that he's been able to get guys on this year. But Renfro just got it off the end of the bat. Blooped into shallow center field. So you got a man on first. And you're like, oh. Jace Peterson's coming up. Known Met killer, Jace Peterson. Remember his days with the Braves. Oh, this dude is a criminal stinker. He but, could be a rat. Yeah, he's, he's, he's close. He's rat If he got a hit tonight, he's yeah. a rat. But he, this was a bad at bat. He got overpowered by Edwin. He lost his rat status, so congrats, Jace Peterson. Yeah, you're just you're just an insignificant player now. We're someone we don't care about you're anymore. defensively versatile, which is useful. Yeah, no, it was okay. <laughs> and Edwin was getting a little more confidence, it looked like, after the you know quick first hit. And then Tyrone Taylor comes up, pinch hitting for Lorenzo Cain, which I thought was super interesting as well. Can I say something? Yeah. I like Tyrone Taylor a lot as a ball player. I want to like him more than I currently do because I do. I agree with you. I think he probably is a ball player, but he just really hasn't ever done anything. I mean, this year he's hit relatively. And he's, he's, oh, I don't think you've seen his numbers recently. No, he has bad numbers. He's yeah. bad numbers, but he has good quality of contact. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. He's, he gets some barrels. He doesn't strike out a ton. And he blooped it again. Just blooped it right over between first, second, and right field. That no man's land. One of the most unique bloops I've ever seen. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And Hunter Renfro's on first. Nick Plummer, Plum Dog Millionaire, running in. All of a sudden you go, wait, they're sending Hunter Renfro home on a shallow bloop? I think the scouting report's out on Nick Plummer. I don't think he has a very strong arm because on this throw, he one-hopped it to Pete, which was about 90 feet maybe, which was kind of shocking. But a bad, bad send by the third base coach by the Brewers. Pete made a strong throw to home, which, thank God, I'm sick. I can't think of first baseman's throws to home by the New York Mets. Don't want to. I won't even mention it. But he made a strong home, or throw to home. Nito tagged him out, and we just got bailed out of it. And although Tyrone Taylor did get to third, that was heads-up baseball. Yes, again, good ball player. But I think here, if you are the Brewers' third base coach, first of all, if you're in City Fields, just going to do a Joey Cora impression. Yeah, you have well. to. You went in Rome. But also, if the book is out on Nick Plummer, and it's either he's going to try a bad throw home or he's going to throw a cutoff to Pete Alonso, who's a bit of a... We've seen Pete make a bad throw on occasion... So you kind of, if you're in that situation, I wouldn't have sent him, but I do see the vision. Like, I would be like, oh, there's one out. I have my top of the order coming up. All I need is a fly ball to tie this game. Or I'm going to be a crazy person. He opted to be a crazy person. Didn't work out. Let's no. go Mets. Didn't work out. Christian Yelich was the last batter of this game. Edwin Diaz dominated Christian Yelich. Looked like, I mean, untouchable, unhittable. It was absolutely disgusting. And the Mets take the series. They take the game. Two of three from the Milwaukee Brewers, who are now in second place in the National League Central. They have fallen off quite a bit. I think they've fallen like either two or three games behind the Cardinals, too. Yeah, they're not looking very good. We saw 
the kind of two sides of the Brewers a series too. They can hit sometimes and sometimes they don't do anything. And that's just kind of what happened in the series. But really at the end of the day, the Mets did play good baseball two of three games. They came back in game three after kind of being on the ropes and the Mets just find ways to win, which is really nice, especially with the Braves and Phillies breathing down our necks. You look at the standings right now. The Mets are still playing good baseball, by the way. I want that to be very well known. Mm-hmm. As good as the Braves or as hot as the Braves and Phillies have been, don't take that the division lead has gotten shorter as the Mets not playing well. They're 8-6 and six since the start of June. We know they had that crazy West Coast trip. They're still playing good baseball. It's just that these two teams have basically not lost since May 31st. No, and those two teams were always better than their records were when this month of June started. So just based on the laws of averages, there was going to be a run in them. I mean, we got to shout out Sal Licata. This might be the oh. last time we're going to really be able to do this, but... God, I just I can't help but keeping but keep going back to that clip of him on May 31st after the Mets swept the Phillies. 10 game lead. Saying the division is over. And again, we should know better than that. It's May 31st. The season's way too young to start proclaiming anything. But since that proclamation by that doofus, Salicata, the Braves have not lost a the game. They're 14-0. The Phillies are 12-2. The Marlins are 9-6. Everybody in the division has technically gained some sort of gain on the Mets since they have, or since he made that proclamation. It's nonsense. What an absolute putz he is, by all means. But, oh, like, just please keep your mouth shut. I get it. You're trying to be Skip Bayless. You're on SNY hoping to get on first take, whatever you're doing. But there's just better ways to do it. You put a target on everyone. You put a target on the Mets back, bigger than it needed to be. You also anger the baseball gods. You don't want to anger the baseball gods. The way the Mets have been playing this year, the baseball gods like us. The, Mets, the baseball gods are doing us fate. I mean, maybe not with the injury stuff so much, but in-game, in-game especially, the baseball gods are helping us out. We're winning a lot, a lot of 50-50 games right now. Yeah. And to say something as asinine as the division race is over with 100... 30 games left. You just, why in the world would you ever say anything like that? Braves have gained six games on us, which is kind of crazy to think that on May 31st it was 10 games. Yeah. I, and I, I know why he said it because it was 10 games, but it's just, it's so stupid, especially knowing the quality of the teams that were behind us. And like you just said, they weren't as bad as their record show. No, they weren't. And like the Braves just kind of struggled out of the gate because Charlie Morton wasn't really pitching up to Charlie Morton standard and they were missing. Ronald Acuna. Who's one of one the is, five best players in the league. Yeah, literally. And now, actually, since our last episode, the Braves have lost Ozzy Albies until probably August, September. A long time. Fra- which, fractured foot. And that does suck. Especially if you see the play, it happened. I, like, I don't want to like Ozzy Albies, but I still like him as a player. Like, yeah. he's, he's a fun guy to watch. Respect him. Respect the hell out of Ozzy Albies, especially as a fellow short king. But it was, he just swung and broke his foot. I've never seen anything like that. It's just unlucky, which maybe the Braves need a little unlucky here because <laughs> they have not lost in the entire month of June. 14-0, they are also playing the worst teams in baseball, and they get to play the Cubs this next weekend, which is unbelievable. Yeah, they, have, they haven't played a team with a record over 500 since, I believe, May 18th. May 18th is the date. Yeah, I, I haven't forgotten it. I know exactly what it is. <laughs> was, there, it, was that the Mets? No, it was, uh, it was the... It was the Brewers, actually. Oh, it was really? the Brewers or Padres, one and of I those guess teams. Now, technically, the Braves did play against a team over 500 since then because they had a Phillies a series against the Phillies at the end of May, but two games over 500. Oh, the, okay, sorry. Yeah, sorry about that. The division gap has closed a little bit, but it's really not the Mets doing. The Braves are playing the best baseball they're going to play all year long. I have no problem saying that. You just don't win 14 in a row. Mo- Mets probably haven't done that in like 10 years, I feel like, winning 14 in a row. I feel like they got close to that in 2015. It's just, it's just a lot of wins in a, a row. Of, that changes literally your entire season. You win 14 games in a row, you play 500 baseball, you, you probably make the We playoffs. saw the Cardinals make the playoffs last year doing something similar. It oh, was yeah. just at the end of the year. It was like so 19, right? I'm happy to have the Braves do it now rather than September. I mean, you know the old saying goes, the team that gets hot in June is always the last one standing. Yep. <laughs> as the famous saying. Now, that being said, the Mets, I, I mentioned the Braves playing nobody. The Mets are playing the Marlins now for this next series, which is going to be a big series. First time all year. First time all year. Did you guys believe it? Crazy. And of course, the Marlins are playing some good baseball. <laughs> I mean, the Marlins aren't like a bad team. Before we do the preview, I just also want to mention Max Scherzer threw a sim game. Jacob DeGrom also threw. He threw a bullpen. Scherzer sim game, though. He threw, I think he said 30 or 40 pitches. So that's Did- him using up-downs. DeGrom's next bullpen session will be a sim game, so I'll be concluding up-downs. Did you see Scherzer vibing, by the way, when yeah. he was throwing? He threw a pitch, and he was pumped, and I love to see that. Well, they were like, are you going to come back if you can get the 70 pitches? And he said, give me the ball. Yeah, and I also love that when they asked him, how are you feeling about like your progression or rehabbing? And he said, I feel nothing. I'm not back yet. Like He's <laughs> he's a nut job, and I love it. I'm so happy he's on the mess. But we have these two guys throwing, and this this is it. 
everybody, if we get these two guys back for any prolonged period of time, we will we will be a team to be trifled with. We're going to feel really, really good. I'm going to cry. We're if, gonna... we, if we have these two guys pitching in back-to-back games, they actually throw five innings. It's going to be electric. Remember March when DeGrom <laughs> threw that game with Scherzer and they piggybacked on each other? Yeah, that was so cool. <sighs> it's, co- it's coming. Just everybody, every night before you go to bed, take a moment, deep breath, and be like, Scherzer, DeGrom, please. Do the ap- opposite of Salicata. Pray to the baseball gods. Give them yes. the respect they deserve. Yeah, maybe give them gifts. Give gifts to the baseball gods. Keep a ball in your pillow. I don't know. For sure. Let's talk about this Marlins series, though. Big one for the Mets. Big one for us as well, as you guys know. Very stuff's big coming. One for us. Yeah, Monday's going to be fun. Fr- Friday's going to be fun, too. Friday's going to be really fun. But Fr- Monday, we're going to have an active day, and you guys are going to see some shit on Tuesday. Some crazy, crazy stuff. So let's go ahead and preview this Marlins series, a weird four-game series that goes until Monday. So it is not ending on Father's Day, which is actually kind of a little bit of a plus. Great for us. Ending on Monday, though. What are the pitching matchups? It's weird when you talk four-game series. It is. Uh, the Marlins don't have anyone scheduled for Friday. So I'm not sure that's going to be. Mets are throwing Carrasco on Friday night. This game's also, this series is also kind of funny because it's kind of like uh, you're going down the steps for the game times. 7-10 Friday, 4-10 Saturday. We have now the 4 o'clock Saturday game, what feels like forever. Which I love. I love a 4 I o'clock. I love a 4 o'clock Saturday game. Oh, my God. one forty on Sunday because of the new Peacock stuff. And then one ten Monday, Juneteenth matinee. Saturday evening, Taiwan Walker versus Braxton Garrett. I, I like that matchup. Yep. Sunday afternoon, this one's going to be very fun. Chris Bassett versus Sandy Alcantara. Who is your probably Cy Young favorite right now? Sandy is one of the best pitchers in baseball. Shout out Jolly Ala for predicting that he'd be the Cy Young winner before the year. He did Corbin Burns last year, too. That's crazy if he gets these two in a row. But Sandy's unbelievable. Over the last month, he's basically averaging eight innings per start with like about the strikeout per inning. No one's hitting the ball hard. No one's hitting home runs. He's truthfully one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. And we know he owns the Mets. Oh, yeah. He, he, his first ever good game was against the Mets. That was his coming out party. He That's, threw a complete game shutout. Like September 2018, right? Uh, no, I think it was I think it was like May because I was graduating. I think I was driving home. And I stopped at John Peloso's in Baltimore. Shout out to John. That makes sense. Oh, yeah, because it was like a yeah, it was spring. Right? That was yeah. when I was initially starting the fire Mickey Calloway hype. <laughs> I, I do remember, though, that he also had a crazy September start against the Mets when he still wasn't yes. this form of Sandy Alcantara yet. But he's incredible. And the Monday matinee, right now it's David Peterson. I guess we're going to see... How that works out. Probably will be Peterson. Probably will be, yeah. Probably will be Peterson, depending. And that's against Trevor Rogers, who has good, real, he has real talent, but he's not pitched very well this year. I'm sure you guys remember last year, the April game where he outdueled Jacob DeGrom, pitched we a there. shutout against the Mets. We were there. The Jazz Chisholm famous home run. But he hasn't really done that so far this year. And the Mets have just been hitting. Mets have been a hard team to get out. Mets are better than the Marlins. Yeah, of course the Mets are better than the Marlins. So this should be a series that, even though they have good pitching, the Marlins' offense by no means has been anything to quiver over. No, but they do have Jazz Chisholm, who's one of the most exciting young players in baseball. He can impact the game. They have Avi Garcia and Jesus Sanchez, who've been hot and cold, but do have good top end. Garrett hey. Cooper's been hitting well, but I don't think he's playing this series. Things on the IL. I think he's on COVID stuff right Something, now. Yeah, uh, Jesus Aguilar is a professional hitter. He's going to be annoying. He's going to get a big hit in the series, I know for a fact. Keith is going to drool over him. Keith yeah. loves Jesus Aguilar, I think, more than any player on any other team. Miguel Rojas is going to piss Mark off. John Birdie is a Met killer. Uh, and He's he's, been, I, he's actually blazing hot I right know, now. I was about to say, he's hot. So maybe, maybe that's what we need. Maybe we need John Birdie to be hot playing the Mets, because normally he just comes out of nowhere and does something. This also very very interestingly, is starting a series, uh, like a set for the Mets, four series where they go Marlins, Astros, Marlins, Astros, which I don't know what these schedule makers are doing, but we haven't played the Marlins all year. It's June 6th, 17th, and we're going to play them. We're going to play them seven times in 10 days. Which I like sprinkling the Marlins in between the Astros. It's a good, like, palate cleanser. Oh, especially because, like, last time we did something like this, it was Dodgers, Giants, Dodgers, Giants. <laughs> yeah. This is way better than that, especially only because both Astros series are two-game series. Which is really cool. Yeah, only getting four against one of the best teams in baseball. Sick. While we're getting seven against the Marlins. So the Mets fans, all of us, we should be feeling good going into this Marlins series. They're not a pushover, though, by any means. They no. pitch well. They're actually, they have a plus you know, run differential. Take that for what it is. But plus. Marlins teams in the past have not been like this. They're not a rollover. They're not a pushover. 28 and 33 is like a fake 28 and 33. This is a 500 baseball team in my eyes. This is the best Marlins lineup that we've seen since their big sell-off a few years ago, by far. But that being said, the Mets should take the series pretty easily, and we should be really, really excited for a few reasons. But when you guys hear that episode after Monday, after the series ends on Monday, for Tuesday morning or whenever you do take it in, because, I don't know, it'll be put out whenever people decide it's ready to be put out. Yeah. That's that's as much as we'll give you, is that people will be deciding when this episode comes out. Thing, things are going to look a little different. Uh, you guys are never going to hear the uh, instrumental for Regulate again, and that makes me really sad. You're, yeah. 
things are going to change. We're probably going to have a different type of studio around us. Probably better microphones. Things are going to get better. Oh, yeah. The only thing that we're really going to miss is Regulate. Yeah, I'm going to miss the hell out of Regulate. We wouldn't be where we are today at this show if that wasn't the intro and outro. So make sure you guys listen to the intro outro again because you, you don't want to miss it. This is going to be the last time you hear Warren G. Regulate on the Messed Up Podcast. But I promise you it is for good reasons because what we have to announce or what you'll be able to find out on Friday, official announcement Monday, it's going to be sick. It's going to be awesome. I, I literally, I can't even believe it still. Like, it, it became real the other night. Like, really real? Very real. And we were like, holy shit. James's big thing is he likes punching me when we when we leave yeah. these big meetings. Yeah. And this was the hardest punch I've ever gotten. It was for good reasons. Hit I didn't really... Shit even, out of him. You hit me hard, and I was like, that's a, that's a good one. I didn't feel it. This was so exciting that immediately we bought shots, and I, I lost my credit card. <laughs> Your credit card is still at City Field. It at is this, still at City Field. At this moment. I think I'm going to get it back, but I don't know yet. So, make sure you guys are following us, subscribing, whatever you have to do to make sure you don't miss out on this podcast. You're not going to want to miss it. Follow us on all our social media at Matt's Up. I'm telling you, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. It's going to be a lot of content. You want to know why? Because I'm not in control of the video content anymore. <laughs> it's going to be, there's going to be a team behind this entire thing, which is really cool. So no more Mark botching the videos. No more me just maybe falling asleep during an edit. It, we're going to, this is going to become hilariously legit, hilariously quickly. So we hope you guys are excited. Make sure you follow James on his new at on twitter at james shiano follow me at giraffe neck mark and the next time we talk to you guys it's gonna be legit as hell we'll see you on the next episode of the messed up podcast peace out and thank you for getting us to what is going to be the coolest news i probably will ever get to announce yeah thank you you guys are literally the shit i can't oh we have to shout out our supporters yeah shout out supporters good call so to all the supporters that have been out there, I mean, viewers, you guys know who you are. We can't name everybody specifically just because we don't have that info, but we do have some guys that have been giving us money on Anchor as monthly supporters for the past year plus, which is pretty Amazing. crazy. Biggest shout out to Brit- Graham Hickson, British Love you, fan. Love you, Graham. We've met you at many games. You've bought James and I many of drinks. Legend. Shout out to you. You've been one of our biggest supporters of the podcast. Shout out to Matt Franklin as well jesse hughes also with that shout out to our biggest supporters you guys know who you are you guys are always on top of all of our stuff mark and personal accounts on top of every met stuff engaging retweeting replying you don't understand how much we appreciate that you don't understand how much that has helped this podcast grow and how much it has helped this show gut in front of the right people in front of the right people's eyes on the right people's desks over the course of this year literally we've been doing this for one year we can't believe what's about to happen yeah And you know what? I think that's exactly where we're going to leave you guys. The next time you hear from us, it's going to be absolutely fucking crazy. I can't. That's it. Goodbye. See you later. That's it. Bye. Peace out, guys. See you next time. We're going to be the official podcast of New York Mets. (laughs) 